Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Billy Smolinski disappeared on Tuesday, August 24th, 2004. When a person disappears without a trace, often the most critical information is hidden in their actions and words from the days before they vanished. Billy Smolinski's last known whereabouts may hold the clues to what happened to him. A fun-loving, hard-working tough guy vanishes from his close-knit family without a word. It was highly unusual for him to simply just up and leave without telling them, without having phone contact with them. I knew immediately something was wrong. I think he was the type of person that met confrontation head on. He wouldn't take off for three days. He wouldn't go up north. He, he just wouldn't do that. After exhaustive and sometimes contentious efforts to find him, his family still waits for a break in the case. And then they go and they arrest my wife when she goes in there and tries to ask for help. They book her with five charges. I used to hear his truck pulling up in the middle of the night. It's like, you know, just think that I hear it, I go and sleep. And it's very hard each day to know that he's out there and we can't lay him to rest if, if he is dead. A few days before he disappears, 31-year-old Billy Smolinski is on a short trip out of town with his girlfriend. He was dating a woman named Madeline Gleason, and the week before he disappeared, they went to Florida together on a vacation. Billy and Madeline go down to West Palm Beach to visit Madeline's 13-year-old son, who is staying with his older brother. The trip to Florida is a big deal for a homebody like Billy. We used to go on vacation when we were younger. But other than that, Billy hasn't been on vacation in years, so it was big to him. You know, he was even, like, afraid to fly. Billy's been seeing Madeline for about a year. They met when both were working as school bus drivers for a local businessman. 
I guess, you know, when you go in in the morning, everybody, you know, lined up to get in their buses, and I guess everybody would talk. So they met through there. Both Billy's parents and his friends have mixed feelings about the relationship. Madeline is 15 years older than him. He liked her a lot. It was weird because she was so much older, but he really liked her, and he, you know, he used to treat her good. She had been married three times, had several children. I, I think to the outsider looking in, thought it was unusual that someone Billy's age, a single guy with no children, never married, would be dating a woman such as this one. We used to take the dog walking, and I, I, I asked him, I said, Billy, what are you doing? I mean, she's old enough to be your mother. And he was 31 years old, so I, I couldn't tell him what to do. There's not much you could say except give your opinion and hope that they take it. According to Billy's friends and family, there is already tension in his relationship. Billy suspects that there is more than friendship between Madeline and her boss at the bus company. He had thought there was something going on. At that point, he didn't have, you know, 100% proof. You know, he never caught her in the act, but it was just a question in his mind. In Florida, Billy's suspicions are apparently heightened by Madeline's behavior. He later describes much of what was happening to his sister, Paula. He would find her, like, hiding in the shower without the shower running or something, you know, talking on the phone, being very secretive. I guess he just was questioning her, who are you talking to? I think he just felt like she was cheating on him. That just kills you when you hear something like that. Billy's worst fears are later confirmed by police investigators. For a significant time period, Madeline Gleason had been having a relationship with a, uh, a married man. While they were vacationing in Florida together, she was uh, receiving and making phone calls to the other man, the married man. Uh, Billy learned about this. It was a bit of a love triangle, I guess, for lack of a better term. Returning home from Florida on Sunday night, Billy apparently confronts Madeline, and she admits to the affair. Billy is shocked at Madeline's infidelity, and that night, they decide to go their separate ways. Billy Solinsky was very upset about the breakup from Madeline, very upset about the circumstances of how they broke up, the fact that she was dating a married man and had you know, chosen to go with that route instead of with Billy. The following afternoon, back home in Connecticut, Billy gets together with his sister Paula, and they talk about the breakup. So, you know, I said, what are you going to do? And his comment was, what am I going to do? He said he wanted to start his life over again, you know, and it's the best thing that maybe that could have happened, happened, you know. Billy begins a seemingly normal week of work at Durable Towing, spending Monday afternoon and evening driving a tow truck for owner Leo Bianchi. He was getting off his shift. He was telling me that he was a little upset about his girlfriend finding out she was seeing another guy. And I said, Billy, let him go. You're a good-looking kid, a lot of fish in the sea. That night, as he's wrapping up his shift, Billy has what appears to be a chance encounter with his close friend, Mary Ellen Noble. Oddly enough, I see him towing a car on my street, and I pull over, and I'm like, Billy, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I'm towing this truck. Mary Ellen took care of Billy's dog, Harley, while he was in Florida. To thank her, Billy proposes a weekend get-together. He said, I want to take you to Six Flags this weekend for watching Harley. After dating for eight years, Billy and Mary Ellen still spend a lot of time together as friends. But that night, she wonders if Billy has more in mind than a simple thank you outing. It just seemed like it might have been more of a date 
than just our normal hanging out. I don't know, I just got that vibe of, of that. And we knew each other very well, so I kind of read them. Mary Ellen was like really like our daughter-in-law. I mean, someday I think she would have been if Billy was still here. I think the two of them were always meant for each other. Though sometimes I think you have to go through things in life in order to find out what truly is important to you. I just felt weird, like he was trying to keep me there and talk to me longer. And uh, that's the last that I saw him or heard from him. Mary Ellen has had four long years to replay that last encounter with Billy over and over again in her head. I just wish I did more. You know, I wish I invited him up to the house. I just wish I talked to him, made him stay. Maybe he would have talked a lot more to me, told me what he was thinking. Billy might have been trying to move past his failed relationship with Madeline. But later that night, his actions seemed to have another intent. He had all night to think about it. And, you know, when something's bother you, it festers and festers. In the wee hours of Tuesday morning, Billy makes an unusual visit to Madeline's house. Billy actually went to Madeline's home in the early morning hours between 4 and 5 a.m., used a ladder to climb up to her window. And, you know, I used to sit on the couch and just think what happened there, you know, and I, I, I can't figure that one out. What was behind Billy's early morning visit to his now ex-girlfriend? Some in his family believe that it was just Billy doing things his own unique way. Billy would do funny, random things. Just whatever was on his mind, he would just do it. He wouldn't even think twice about it. He couldn't use the front door. He would have to, like, maybe use a window or the back door or climb on a shed like he used to in my house. That was just Billy's way. But police investigators collect information that suggests Billy's mood that Tuesday morning may have been darker than some of his loved ones believe. We interviewed people he worked with, friends of his. Certainly, it's clear from his, his reaction to the breakup with Madeline that he was upset over it just by the fact that he went to her home in those early morning hours, climbed a ladder up to her window. Madeline Gleason later gives an account of Billy's visit to police investigators. They went inside, they talked for an hour, he attempted to get back together to reconcile the relationship. She told him she would need some time. Billy then returns home. Whatever happened at Madeline's, what he does next is not in question. They've documented through phone records that he did make several phone calls. Investigators discover that the calls are made to Billy's former boss, the married man he suspects Madeline is having an affair with. If Billy ever found out anybody was cheating on him, he would be very upset. He was, you know, he was soft-hearted and he couldn't handle it. Like, it was, it was hard. Billy's family hopes that he is ready to move on with a new phase of his life. But his sense of right and wrong may have driven him down a dangerous path. And the day he disappeared, he called that man three times from his home and left a message stating, you better watch your back at all times. While on vacation in Florida, Billy Smolinski discovers that his girlfriend Madeline Gleason is seeing another man. 
about 36 hours after returning home to Connecticut, he makes a threatening phone call to his rival. I think he made that call because he was mad. You know, he was really mad. He didn't like to be taken as a, a fool, you know. According to many who knew him, Billy wasn't afraid of confrontation. He wouldn't back down. If somebody came up to him and pushed him, he wouldn't walk away. He wouldn't go looking for trouble. And unless somebody started giving him trouble, then he, he was going to stay there. He, he wasn't going to turn his back and walk away. Tuesday, August 24th, the day that Billy disappears. Investigators know his last known action is a late afternoon visit to his next door neighbor. On the day that he disappeared, Billy had a conversation with his neighbor, Roy. He stated that he was going north for a few days and he asked Roy if he could please watch his dog. An avid auto enthusiast and mechanic, Billy tells Roy that he's going out of town to look at a car. Billy liked to spend his spare time working on stuff, uh, cars, his house. He always had little projects going. He'd buy cars for cheap and fix them up and sell them. He was always keeping busy, doing something. And that is the last day that uh, Billy Slominski's seen. The next morning, Billy's close friend and ex-girlfriend, Mary Ellen Noble, gets an unexpected phone call concerning Billy's dog, Harley. I got a phone call from Billy's neighbor, Roy, and um, he just said to me that Billy wasn't home and Harley was in the house and that he was supposed to watch our dog. Roy tells Mary Ellen that he can't find the house key that Billy promised to leave for him. The conversation puts Mary Ellen on high alert. I immediately knew something was wrong. It makes no sense at all. After dating for eight years, Mary Ellen and Billy still share joint custody of the dog they own together. He wouldn't let his neighbor watch the dog. He wouldn't trust anybody else but myself to watch Harley. Mary Ellen is even more surprised to hear that Billy left town without telling her. Billy never made um, spontaneous plans, never. We knew what he was doing from minute to minute, usually. If he went to the grocery store, he'd tell us. Billy had just came back from Florida. He wouldn't leave again to go up north to look at a car. He already had like six cars of his own in his yard. He didn't need any other cars. So it was very strange. Feeling in her gut that something is very wrong, Mary Ellen contacts Billy's sister, Paula. So Mary right away called me and asked me, where did your brother go? I called my parents right after Mary Ellen called me. We went to the house. I called my mother and I said, something's not right. Paula's concern escalates into fear when she sees Billy's truck parked down near the end of his driveway. It didn't make sense because he always drove right up to the front of the house and got out and walked in the house. He wouldn't leave the truck way at the end of the driveway. Which obviously raised a red flag to them thinking that maybe someone other than Billy had parked the truck there. They become convinced somebody else has been driving Billy's truck. In a panic, Jan and Bill Smolinski and their daughter Paula go to the local Waterbury Police Department to report Billy missing. He had never not shown up for work, never not called his family. All these factors are extremely out of character, which set this case apart. I knew immediately something was wrong. And I don't know if it's a mother instinct or what, but I said, oh my God, there's something wrong here. And, and Billy's gone. As days go by and Billy doesn't come home, his family's desperate efforts to find him take a bizarre turn. I just wondered why would a person rip the flyers down and do such hateful things and write who cares?
Billy Smolinski has disappeared without a trace. According to his neighbor, he went up north for a few days, but his friends and family say he would never leave town without talking to them. You know your child, you know, and if you think there's something wrong, you got to go with that feeling because there is something wrong. Fearing the worst, the Smolinskis go to the Waterbury Police Department. We went right to the police and said, something's wrong here. And they said, well, your neighbor said he went up north for three days. We got to wait to three days. Because of the neighbor's story, the Smolinskis are told that it's too early to consider Billy a missing person. Going up north for a car just did not make sense. But the police wouldn't listen to us. The detective who made that decision, I, I think his intentions were, were very good. He simply was trying to calm her concerns, calm her fears, saying simply that, you know, had he told his neighbor this, he's probably going to be back in a few days, don't worry. We kept telling them, it's just not like him, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't leave Harley, our dog, he just wouldn't go. But they made us wait. We have since changed our policy. We take missing persons reports immediately now. It was a long three days for the Smolinski family. On Thursday, Billy's sister Paula searches his house for anything that might give the family information into his whereabouts. We did everything just to see if there was a clue where he could have went. So we said, let's look through his garbage and, and just see if we could find something in his garbage. Something that would, you know, tip us off maybe where he went. And we come across a, a receipt from Burger King. I think it was like 3, three o'clock three in the afternoon at uh, Reedville Drive in Waterbury. According to the receipt, Billy paid for his lunch at 2.59 p.m. on Tuesday, August 24th. Billy making that purchase, being that it's date and time stamped, that is the last tangible evidence of Billy anywhere and the day he disappeared. Billy's mother and sister then do some detective work of their own. After we gave the report to the police, Paul and I went to Burger King to see if we can go on the surveillance camera and see if someone was with Billy or what he was wearing. Maybe if there was like an expression on his face, we could maybe feel out what was going through his head at that particular point. But the surveillance cameras only record the past 24 hours. If Billy's visit was caught on tape, it's already been recorded over. By the end of the day on Thursday, nobody has heard from Billy. Every morning we'd call his house, no answer. At night we'd go down, take care of the dog a little bit. No, nobody around. Still clinging to hope, Billy's parents go down to durable towing that night and wait. We said, you know, Billy is supposed to show up for work at 6 o'clock. So let's just go sit in the parking lot for a while and, and see if, you know, he shows up. And we waited and waited and he never did show we figured maybe he was just, you know, out, out and about somewhere, maybe. But he never, he never showed. By Friday night, Billy has been missing for three days. The Smolinskis return to the Waterbury Police Department. An official report was made. He was entered into a national database of missing persons. Uh, you know, a description of him was broadcast. That's when the official investigation began into his disappearance. All I did was hold Billy's picture in my hand and, and held it close to my heart. That's all I did. I couldn't even talk. The next morning, the Smolinskis begin to contact anyone they can think of that might have information into Billy's whereabouts. When your loved one is missing, your whole life ends up being dedicated to finding that missing loved one. 
um, good, bad, or indifferent, the result, you want some closure. You want to know what happened. Went to all the neighbors' houses, knocked on their doors, see if they heard anything, any, any noises, any, saw anything strange. You know, anybody that he would have called maybe or went somewhere with, we called everybody and nobody heard from him. Over the Labor Day weekend, they organized a massive search for Billy. We had to do something, we had to look. We didn't know what happened, you know, God forbid he was, you know, in the woods somewhere. You know, we didn't know. So we kind of just started searching. I'd say between 200 and 300 people showed up. One day we searched in Ogtuk River. All of us were in the river looking around. We did this for three days, from morning till night. No one found anything. Waterbury detectives also checked Billy's financial records for any unusual activity. Unfortunately, in this case, there was no information. There was no unusual activity. There were no purchases since his disappearance, and any purchases prior to his disappearance didn't indicate anything as to his whereabouts. The most difficult cases, missing person cases, that is, are the ones such as Mr. Szymanski's, where you suspect the foul play is involved and you don't have a lot of information to go on. In fact, Billy Smolinski's disappearance bears none of the typical indicators that investigators look for. Billy, from what we can find out, had no drug or alcohol problem, we had not been involved in any type of criminal activity, just your a typical hard-working uh, blue-collar guy. Then, the story of Billy's disappearance breaks on local newspapers and television. Friends and family of William Smolinski are hoping for the best to find the man they call Billy alive. He was last seen August 24th. He told his family he was going away, but never said exactly where. When the article was put in the paper, psychics started coming forward, a couple of different ones. One of the psychics had called my mother and said, Billy is, is on the side of the river near railroad tracks, um, bleeding, he needs to be found within a couple hours or he's gonna die. The Smolinskis organize a search party from among their family and friends and look for Billy in the areas the psychic described. At that point, you're just, you wanna believe anything. So we took different sections of the river, you know, just, we we're going, going, going all day, just walking. Nothing is found in the river. But the Smolinskis feel compelled to investigate any information that might lead them to Billy. We were thinking, what if it's true? And we didn't follow up on it. And we, we could have had a chance to save him. A family's going to reach out, and a family's going to take any kind of hope that there is and cling to it. Over the next week, other psychics contact Jan with tips involving Billy's disappearance. We were just grasping at straws. There was nothing. So we just took every little tip that we got and we ran with it out of hope that we'd find Billy. Each time there's a different grisly scenario and each time the Smolinskis follow the tip and find nothing. I'm not saying that psychic information is, is not good, but it's, it's all over the place. You can't completely dismiss or discount it, but you have to have a, a, a jaded view as to what the psychics are telling you. We were devastated. And um, to watch his mom each time hear these psychics say, well, if we don't find him by a certain time, he's gonna die. You're built up to a point where you're gonna get your answers. And then when nothing happens, it's like somebody just smashing you in the stomach. 
Billy has now been missing for two weeks. Desperate for clues, Waterbury detectives returned to his home. We uh, conducted a search at his home. We checked for the presence of blood, presence of uh, any type of crime scene there in his, in his home. No traces of blood are found. One of the detectives then conducts a search of Billy's pickup truck. So one of them was looking for stuff under his seat and, you know, in the glove compartment stuff, and he found Billy's keys and wallet shoved way in the back underneath the seat of the truck. That was a red flag for us as investigators, because why would someone leave on their own and leave their wallet and keys behind? The detective came to the house and put his keys and wallet on the table. I just immediately was upset, lost it, crying my eyes out. I just didn't know what to think about that. It wasn't like Billy, so I just didn't even know how to handle it. Hoping that Billy is still alive but possibly lost or injured in the woods, the Smolinskis contact a volunteer search and rescue group who leads specially trained dogs through woods and fields that he frequented. I think they did like a five, five or ten mile radius around Billy's house with the dogs. They came every single weekend until the snow started falling. The search dogs find no traces of Billy. Frustrated with the lack of answers, Billy's parents spearhead an effort to raise awareness about his disappearance. A friend of mine had the idea of, of going and getting the posters made, and we just had a picture, a basic picture of him. His date of birth, his height, his weight, the day he disappeared, his tattoo, just different markings on him. Um, you know, he had an earring. We went everywhere, um, all the surrounding towns, to hang flyers. There'd be about probably two people in a car, um, one to drive, one to get out and hang the flyer, and um, get back in and then go to the next pole. We put them all over the place in case somebody saw them walking down the street or anything. The posters offer a reward for information into Billy's disappearance. By now, the Smolinski family and friends are dedicating almost all of their free time to searching for Billy. I'd get home from work, I'd come home, I'd grab a bite to eat. And then we were off making, you know, laminating some papers if we had to make them up. We'd go out until dark, hanging them up. That was an everyday routine, every day. I remember we all used to take turns sitting at his kitchen table waiting for the phone to ring. And I didn't sleep for days. <laughs> I start crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Like, I used to hear his truck pulling up in the middle of the night. Like, you know, just think that I hear it. I couldn't sleep. It was terrible. It was terrible. It was, like, very anxious. You know, you just wanted to find out what happened. And Soon, the missing posters of Billy can be seen all over the Naugatuck Valley. Then, one night, while hanging more flyers, the Smolinskis make a shocking observation. But when we were going through these certain towns, I said to my wife, I said, hey, didn't we, didn't we put one on this pole and we're going further down? And how about that pole? I remember doing that pole. The Smolinskis realized that a lot of the posters are actually being removed and taken down, um, sometimes just as quickly as they're being put up. Some of the posters are left on the ground. Others are defaced or mutilated. Billy's face would be cut out or it would say who cares on it. They'd be slashed or spray painted his face out. Anything that you could think of were done to these flyers. We were just trying to figure out who the hell would do this, you know? Billy's sister Paula and her aunt and uncle decide to stake out one of the poster locations 
in order to find out who is vandalizing them, they bring video recording equipment. I had my video camera, which I was sitting in the cemetery, and my uncle had his video camera. He was across the street in the woods, just so we had it at two different angles. We sat there for quite a few hours just waiting, and we saw a car pull up, run across the street, rip down the poster, and run back in the car and take off. We videoed the whole thing. Paula and her aunt and uncle are stunned to discover that they think they know the woman who is tearing down their missing posters. When we saw her, we knew exactly who it was. The Smolinskis all believe the woman on the videotape is Billy's ex-girlfriend, Madeline Gleason. Emotions run high between Billy's family and his former girlfriend. They stated publicly that they were trying to drive her to the breaking point. She was hanging a flyer for her missing son, and she got arrested. I just couldn't believe it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. A woman is caught on tape, ripping down missing posters of Billy Smolinski, and his family suspects that it's his ex-girlfriend, Madeline Gleason. I couldn't even explain the feeling. It was, like, heartbreaking to see who it was. I, I really don't know what she had in her mind. I, I don't know. You'd think she would have helped us put him up or, you know, not tear him down, spray paint him, slash his face out of him, you know? I mean, come on, well, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. This is a missing person. This isn't about the flyers or who's taking him down. This is a person that may be a homicide. At that time, we didn't know. We brought the tape to the police, and the police 
said they really can't do anything about it. There's, you know, they can't arrest her for it. The Solinskis strongly believe that it was Madeline Gleason ripping down the posters. Uh, Ms. Gleason denies that. She claims that it was a friend of hers whom she declines to identify, who says she has similar hair to her and looks similar to her. Although Madeline denies being the woman in the Smolinski's video, she tells local police that she doesn't believe they have a right to hang posters in her hometown of Woodbridge, especially along her bus route. They were targeting the area immediately around where she lived and where she worked. They were intentionally trying to cause her anguish and pain. She was concerned that the presence of the posters in Woodbridge were somehow implying that she was involved in his disappearance and would somehow tarnish her reputation. It's not like we're picking on anybody. We're just trying to find our son. That's all we were doing. The Smolinski family says that Madeline's attitude makes them wonder if she somehow knows something about Billy's disappearance. How is a flyer bothering you? Let alone that it's your ex-boyfriend that you supposedly cared about that's bothering you, that we're hanging flyers. You should be out there helping. Madeline was interviewed several times by Waterbury police. She is not a suspect in the case. There's nothing to be suspected of, number one. Uh, and number two, she's just an innocent victim. It's, it's just terrible the way people are, are, are going after her. I mean, how would, how would you like it if somebody did that to you? As law enforcement officers, you can't get too involved in mediating these things, but at the same time, you want things to remain calm. You don't want problems to escalate where it worsens already a bad situation. The Smolinskis continue to hang posters all over Connecticut, including in Madeline's hometown of Woodbridge. According to Billy's father, they have physical confrontations with Madeline at some of the sites where posters are hung. This car pulls up. It was Madeline's car. And her girlfriend gets up, and she walks right up to the pole as my wife hung that flyer and turned around to come back, and she ripped it right off the pole and threw it on the ground. Every time my wife would staple that flyer up there, she'd rip it right down and throw it on the ground. The Smolinski's tape of the woman ripping down their posters is broadcast on local TV news in New Haven. By May of 2005, Billy has been missing for nine months. The battle over the posters climaxes when his mother Jan is arrested and charged with criminal trespass for hanging missing posters on school property in Woodbridge. My mother was like, oh my God, you know, what did I do? I'm hanging a poster of my son, you know. I was read my rights, fingerprinted, mugshot, and they gave me my choice of court date. This is a woman that has never been arrested in her life and never would do anything to ever even be in that circumstance. In June of 2005, the case against Jan Smolinski goes to trial. Along the side of me were prisoners in shackles and handcuffs, and it seemed kind of surreal to be put in this situation where I only had one intention in mind, was to look for Billy. The charges are dropped by the New Haven District Attorney's Office due to lack of evidence. I think that the prosecutor was being uh, kind. A lot of times charges are dismissed because the prosecutor decides that, you know, it's not worth it. We have limited resources in our courts. We need to concentrate on the more serious offenses. By the summer of 2006, Billy Smolinski has been missing for two years. In the midst of the family's conflict with Madeline Gleason, Waterbury police reach an impasse in their investigation. 
in August of 06, we came to the conclusion that we had exhausted all our avenues in this case, and it appeared more and more likely that Billy Slominski was the victim of foul play. At that point, we contacted the FBI and asked them for their assistance. Meanwhile, frustrated by the lack of progress in the police investigation, the Smolinski family hires a private investigator. He requests and obtains police records pertaining to Billy Smolinski's missing person case. We started going through that. And on, on one page, it was like page 14. That's when it said how Billy was killed. The Smolinskis are shocked by what they read. Ten months earlier, an informant had called the Crime Stoppers hotline, claiming that Billy Smolinski was strangled to death by Madeline Gleason's son, Sean Karpiuk. You know, we were just like looking at each other and we couldn't believe it. More than two years after he disappeared, a stunning development in the case of Billy Smolinski. A police report reveals a previously undisclosed Crime Stoppers tip. Billy was allegedly strangled to death by his ex-girlfriend Madeline Gleason's son, Sean Karpiuk. I just can't describe that day. That was like a, a nightmare. Because we never heard of nothing like that before, you know. Madeline's son, along with his friends, did have criminal histories. They were involved in some criminal activities. They were in and out of prison. But this was the first time we received some concrete information, uh, a location, uh, a specific manner, a specific set of circumstances. But an enormous complication hinders investigation of the tip. Six months after Billy's disappearance, Sean Karpiak dies of a heroin overdose. We cannot interview him. We cannot get information from him. We can't do a search warrant of where he lived because he's, it's been years since he lived there. According to police investigators, there's been a working theory all along that Madeline Gleason's son, Sean, was somehow involved in Billy's disappearance. Well, the leads that have been developed are that uh, Sean and William Smolinski and possibly others did have a um, physical altercation based on the falling out of the relationship with Madeline Gleason and that William Smolinski was killed and that his body was in fact dumped someplace in an area in the valley and that his truck was driven back to the residence by some unknown person. The gruesome news of Billy's alleged murder stirs mixed feelings among his loved ones. When I heard the tip, I just was very upset. I couldn't believe that somebody would do that to Billy. It also would mean that, you know, we would finally find him, so that would be good. We'd have closure. Party just wants to find him. It's been like four years of torture, you know, and you just you want to end it and, and let him be put to rest where he belongs. Investigators are careful to point out that the leads naming Sean Karpiak are just one theory in the case. These people claim to have intimate knowledge of what had occurred. And that's what we're still following up as to whether it's intimate knowledge or if these are just stories that are being perpetuated by um, one or two different people, maybe involved or not involved in the disappearance of William Smolenski. That perspective is echoed by Madeline Gleason's attorney, John Williams. Talk is cheap. Haven't seen any evidence. I don't believe there is any. You know, if you followed up every rumor, my goodness, 
we would be devoting full time to look after Jimmy Hoffa, wouldn't we? Due to the influx of new information, by the spring of 2007, the police investigation involves the FBI, Connecticut State Police, and the Waterbury, Shelton, and Seymour Police Departments. We've pretty much combined our efforts, and we're working together uh, in trying to solve this case. The new tips focus law enforcement on several locations in Shelton. At the time of Billy's disappearance in August of 2004, Sean Karpiak and several of his friends were working as laborers on home construction projects in the Shelton area. Some of the information that we received was that Sean Karpiak, along with his friends, killed Billy Slominski and possibly disposed of his body in one of those home construction sites. And there were four houses at the end of a cul-de-sac that were recently being built by a local contractor. In May of 2007, the Connecticut State Police Major Crime Unit searches the Shelton houses using cadaver dogs. If you're working under the assumption that Mr. Smolinski has been killed and his body has been dumped somewhere, the cadaver dogs are trained to sniff the odor of a, a decomposing body, the odor of a dead body. They dug small little holes to uh, release uh, the gases and the um, odors that would be in the ground, and then they ran the dogs throughout the property, um, paying particular attention to the driveway areas of each of the houses. Cadaver dogs sniffed and uh, did not locate any indications that there was a body buried there. We also searched other areas in Shelton that day with cadaver dogs, but uh, did not find any evidence. The recent series of leads pointing to Billy's violent death and the lack of any real answers are taking their toll on his loved ones. You're always wondering, you know, what, what happened? Where is he or how did he die? Did he suffer, you know? Stuff like that. Well, you want to run up there and, and start digging up the ground yourself. You know, he's like, what the heck is going on here? You know, is it true or isn't it true? During the summer of 2008, investigators receive yet another grisly tip. Billy's body was placed in a large metal barrel and then buried in a field in nearby Seymour, Connecticut. The rationale behind that was this, that one of Sean Karpiak's friends, his family formerly owned that property, and they owned it in August of 2004 at the time of Billy's disappearance. We probably spent five or six days uh, digging and going through the area with metal detectors, looking for drums, uh, barrels that were buried. The massive operation is heavily covered by the local Connecticut media. Jan and Bill Smolinski and their daughter spend a couple of hours at the site, watching investigators comb through tons of earth. There's another surreal experience in knowing that your son or someone you love remains maybe in there. If I was to go there and they pulled up a barrel and I saw Billy, I, I, would, I would have lost it. I can't handle that at all. Over a week's time, 21 acres of the field are dug to a depth of up to six feet. We came up with, with no results of a body, but we still haven't been able to conclusively rule out that property. More than four years later, the investigation into Billy Smolinski's disappearance is still very active. Certainly, I think there's the strong possibility that we could revisit any of these locations and uh, continue to dig. New leads are also compelling investigators to take a second, far more detailed look at Billy's long-forgotten pickup truck. 
We received information due to our most recent investigation that um, the truck possibly was here in Shetland at some point while he was missing or during his disappearance. Police believe that suspects in Billy's disappearance may have used his truck and left behind DNA or other forensic evidence. We're hoping that if the truck was moved back after William Smolinski's disappearance by the suspect or suspects, that some of their DNA, their hair, fingerprints, or, or other uh, forensic evidence will link them to this crime. The crime team documents the truck and its contents. Then, they painstakingly search for forensic evidence, collecting hair, fibers, and any and all objects inside the vehicle. To date, the forensic evidence is inconclusive. More than four and a half years after Billy disappeared, the investigation is still open. We've gone through every investigative tool that, that's available to us, and we just have not come up with anything. You may have good leads, you may have good solid leads, but you just need that one more piece of evidence. You need that one more person to come forward, that one more bit of credibility to add to something someone has already told you to finish the case. We want to find out why and how Billy Suminski disappeared. And if he's the victim of foul play, we want to bring those individuals to justice. The Smolinskis say that all they want is some closure on their family tragedy. Every day I go to work and I, if, if I see somebody walking on the side of the road, I look to see, you know, or I see a car that stopped, or, you know, or a tow truck going by, you know, it's, it's always that, you know, maybe he is out there somewhere. It's a terrible feeling. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I constantly wonder, you know, where is he? And it's just, it's like, it's heartbreaking to know that he's out there somewhere and you can't find him. To just think that he's dead, it's so hard for me. Um, my brain tells me that, but my heart can't handle it. So I just lie every day to myself, make myself believe that we don't have a body, so there's hope. But I'm not going to stop looking for him until I bring him home. If it takes the rest of my life, that's what it's going to do.